0: What's up coaches? Thank you for checking out Keep Your Pads Down, a podcast for men in the trenches. Well, we are back after taking last week off, but it was for good reason. Last Monday we welcomed a baby boy, Tripp Taylor, in our family. This makes three kids for for us. We have one daughter and now two boys, and both uh, my wife and our baby boy are doing great, and we are adjusting to life as a family of five, but uh, no complaints. We're extremely blessed and thankful for this new addition to our family and, and welcome the joys and challenges that come with three kids. But with that being said, let's get to today's guest, shall we? You know, I'm really excited about our guest today. I actually didn't have to look too far to, to find our coach today. Really, all I had to do was you know turn around over my left shoulder and look back behind me about 15 feet uh, where his desk is because today's a guest is a co-worker of mine, and that is Pleasant Grove DB coach Jonathan Darby. So this is the first time Coach Darby and I have ever worked together here at Pleasant Grove. But I could tell from the first time that I met him this summer that, that he was the real deal. And, and uh, the more and more we've gotten to work together over the last few months, uh, I can definitely attest that he is an outstanding coach and, and an even better person. And I have learned a ton uh, from him, from being around him this season. So we'll actually get into this uh, in our conversation uh, today. But Darby came to Pleasant Grove from from TCU. So, you know, he's peacocking around a little bit after their big win uh, over Texas this weekend. But anyway, he uh, spent some time, spent two seasons at TCU where he was a GA. And he actually signaled in the defense amongst, amongst other duties. But what I really like about Darby is that from the moment he got here to Pleasant Grove, we got here really at the same time. He actually got here a, a few weeks before me, I think. Um, But since he's been here, he has never been too good for for any job. I mean, whether it's laundry, coaching up the 7th grade B team, running the scout huddle in our team sessions, I mean, he just jumps right in and, and, you know, whatever the task is and gets after it. And I really appreciate that about him. And so that's what kind of person he is. Uh, Very humble, hardworking, passionate about what he's doing. And I have a ton of respect for him and excited that you get to hear what he has to say today. All right, so Coach Darby is from Santee, California and played safety at West Hills High School. He attended Grossmont Junior College in El Cajon for two years before transferring to Southwestern Oklahoma State University to play safety for the Bulldogs. In 2013, Coach Darby served as a GA at Swasu before being hired full-time as a defensive backs coach in 2014, a position he held until the summer of 2017 when he became a defensive graduate assistant for the TCU Horn Frogs. Coach Darby ga for Coach Patterson of Fort Worth for two seasons. Helped the Frogs reach the Big 12 Championship and two bowl game wins. This past summer, as I mentioned earlier, Coach Darby was hired here at Pleasant Grove, to where he, this past summer, as I mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, this past summer, Coach Darby was hired here at Pleasant Grove High School, where he coaches corners for us. Today, Coach Darby and I talk about defending Big 12 offenses and some of his favorite line movements and stunts. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Here's Coach Jonathan Darby on episode number 34 of KYPD. All right, Darby, it's great to get you on here and talk some ball. This is our first season working together, and I could tell immediately the first time I met you that you were the real deal, and I know you have a lot of knowledge and passion for the game of football, so I'm glad that these guys listening are going to get to hear from you today.
1: Well, Ty, first off, I wanted to say thank you. I appreciate you having me on. I think think, uh, what you're doing with this podcast, what you're doing for not only defensive line coaches, but coaches across the country that are tuning in to – to listen, to what you have to say about defensive football and even even fashion trends from week to week, I think that's <laughs> awesome. So, um, you know, shout out to you because you know I think the same thing about you. Is you know, first season working together, I heard a lot of good things about you coming into this. So, um, I, I think I think that's awesome, man. It's, it's it's great to be on here.
0: Yeah, well, you have a, a sort of an interesting journey to where you are now currently, and and so let's start with this. You're from you're from the San Diego area. You played juco ball there and then wound up at a D2 school in Oklahoma and and you're really, your journey got even more interesting from there. So start off by telling us a little bit about, about that.
1: Yeah, I got, it is, it is pretty interesting, you know, and I get a lot of people out here in Texas. And then when I was in Oklahoma, kind of ask about that. Um, I I grew up in San Diego, um, you know, great city to live in, great city to grow up in. I went to West Hills high school, played football. I, I almost didn't play college football. So I I enrolled in the JUCO next to my parents' house, a five-minute drive from where where I grew up my whole life, and I was initially just going to go to school that summer, and my mom and dad said, if if you're going to just go to school, you better find yourself a job then, son, Um, and so I said, well, the best job I could think about is trying to play some football, so um, I was essentially a junior college walk-on, which in California most of them are, and my first year, I went to Grossmont College. My first year, I was, I was a special teams guy only, uh, had some really good safeties playing in front of me. So didn't play a whole lot, tried to get on the field, an outside linebacker, tried to get on every special teams I could. And then the next year, I, I actually started on safety. Um, from there, I, I transferred uh, to, to Southwestern Oklahoma State. I took a visit with a with a bunch of California JUCO kids. And the program at that time was was kind of down. Um, they, they were just getting a bunch of new, they just had a bunch of new coaches. Um, and so I took a visit with all these California JUCO kids and it was like, it just felt like it was like a good place to be. Um, great coaching staff, um, got guys that really wanted us to come in and, and make an impact. And I thought we could come in and make an impact right away. And all of us really ended up kind of signing together. Um, and little did I know in, in that December visit in, in 2009, that, when I transferred there in 2010, I'd spend seven years in, in Weatherford, Oklahoma. So, I I played there for for a year. I got hurt. I sat a year out. I finished my senior year in 2012. Um, then I g8 in 2013. My first year coaching was at Southwestern. Um, then in 14, I was hired full time. So I was a full time coach at Southwestern in 14, 15, and 16, and then. I actually had a buddy at TCU that that was a GA at Southwestern when I was playing and and he hit me up in the spring of 2017 and he said, "Hey Darby, we have this this defensive GA spot open. Um w- would you be interested?" So, I mean, I'm I'm going going berserk and I'm like, "Well, yeah, yeah, I'd be interested." I mean, GA spot TCU. Um the interesting thing about about going to Southwestern was I, I we had actually learned all of our techniques and all of our coverages from watching TCU film, from watching TCU cutups, from watching TCU practice cutups. So our coaches had gone down there, learned the coverages, learned the lingo, brought it back to us at the D2 and that's how we were learning how to play play safety. That's how I was learning how to play safety was I learned that Gary Patterson's coverage tapes from from games from, from practices. And so I had actually, when, when he told me, hey, it's a, it's a GA spot at TCU, it's on defense. I said, well, I, I could go do this. I've, I've been doing this for six years now. Um, and so that, that was pretty, pretty cool for me as I, I went GA there for, for two years. I GA for 17 and then uh, 2018. Um, and then when that time was up, I, I had an opportunity that I could have GA for another year. Um, but I was I was twenty nine years old at that point. Uh, so I'm twenty nine now and it was it was time to get a job and that's how I ended up here in uh in Texas Texas, uh Pleasant Grove High School. And you know, looking back on it, it's on, on the coaching career so far, it's 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 an interesting journey, you know, coming from junior college ranks and then um just coming from California in general, but definitely definitely happy where I ended up.
0: Well, and let's talk about how you came here because even that's you know, not as cut and dry as, as you make it sound there because you originally were going to come here, uh, the job that you applied for was a middle school job. So yeah. talk to us about that and, like, how, you know, what those guys there at TCU thought when you made that decision because I don't, you know, and what other people thought, like, dude, what are you doing going from TCU to now applying for a, a, a middle school job at a 4A high school uh, in Texas? Why, yeah, why I mean, did you do I, that?
1: Initially, initially it, was, it was a middle school job. And when I when I came on my interview uh, to, to to talk with Coach Gibson, it was it was the same the same job. I mean, it was it was no no difference in in the, in the middle school job. Um, and to me, the the biggest thing I wanted when I was looking at jobs is I, I kind of had a, a feeling, kind of had a, a uh, something in my heart was telling me that I wanted to to go try the high school route, high, high school route, and especially if I was going to do that is to do it in the state of Texas. Um, and so I applied for, you know, the Pleasant, Pleasant Grove because I had heard a lot of good things about about Coach Gibson, about what this program was about. And the fact that it was a middle school job really didn't didn't hold me back at all. So one of the big things about it was right when I applied for it, uh, one of the TCU coaches actually calls me. So I, there, there's a conversation that happens with, coach Gibson and one of the TCU coaches before I even can basically get the resume looked at probably. And, you know, the TCU coach calls and he says, Hey Darby, you know, you just applied for a middle school job. And I'm like, yeah, very well aware. Um, and I know this is his recruiting area. So I was probably expecting this call. Um, so he calls me uh, and, I, and I told him why I was interested in doing it. And he said, all right, you know, well, let's, 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 Let's get rolling on this. So Coach Gibson calls me probably five minutes later and kind of tells me the same thing. Is hey, you know, this is a a middle school job. He's like, but would you want to come talk about it? So come meet with them. And, you know, the understanding I had was it was kind of different how – and now, you know, you and me being here is this is a different place where, yeah, it is a high school job as far as the teaching, but – you're still a middle school coach, you're still a high school coach. Um, you're helping out at every level and so there wasn't really a, a middle school position. And when he when he kind of explained that part of it then, I was still kind of so I was sold on the thing. I was like, you know what? It felt right. It felt like it was the right people to be around. Um, and timing wise for me, I don't know if it could have been any better. I would I didn't have any more classes to take at TCU. Um i, I kind of I kinda learned that I what I and did what I needed to do there so it's kind of time for me to age wise and then experience wise to go to go do it and, and I thought obviously coming to the high school level, coming to the middle school level is somewhere where you could, you could go make a bigger impact than maybe I was making.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know you've been around some really uh, awesome coaches uh, in your time as both a player and a coach. So talk about some of those guys who have influenced you uh, influenced your career up to this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're exactly right. I mean, there's the the list could probably go on forever, and, and there's a few guys that I that I kind of want to highlight. Um, you know, the first guy is, is Casey Ash. She's my head high school coach. Uh, initially, he was my defensive coordinator. Took over as the head high school coach at, at West Hills. Um, a guy that a guy that he he took me and a couple other players and, and invited us to work out at at, at night. Um, let let us get extra workouts in. He knew that we wanted to go. Play college at that time um, and knew we wanted to kind of better ourselves, Sent us off to other uh, personal trainers and stuff like that, just so that we could get as much experience as we can outside of, the, of his program. Um, and then junior college-wise, I got, got three big guys that made a huge impact on me, Dan Claus, Mark Deasing, uh, Mike Jordan. Dan Klaus is our recruiting coordinator uh, and coached me at outside linebacker. Mark Deasing was our defensive backs coach, and then Mike Jordan was our head football coach. Um, then I went to Southwestern and, and – it was spending so much time there, it was incredible how many great coaches I've met um, and guys that just impacted me um, in an unbelievable way. And the first guy I got to talk about is Todd Helton, He was a defensive coordinator. Um, now he's an assistant athletic director. Um, and he was actually the D-line coach. So um, one of the one of the best coaches I've ever been around. Um, then we've got Toby Trotter. I've got Steve Day, John Garfield, Eric Gibson, Dan Kokenauer. Dustin Hayda, Justin Iski, Alex Wears, Dicky, Ryan fellow, those are all some big, big time guys from Southwestern that helped me out. Um, one of the most interesting, interesting things and most impactful things for me coming from Southwestern was I actually lived with, with two offensive coordinators. So you hear coaches talk all the time about either going and coaching on another side of the ball. Um, you know, if you're a D line coach going to coach an offensive line, or if you're a secondary coach going in and coaching an offensive skill position or, coaching, coaching an offensive position um, and how much that can benefit your career in the, long, in the long run. And I thought that was one of the best things that has ever happened to me is I had two stints of living with, with an offensive coordinator. And I got to sit there and, and pick their brain every night where it's a spring practice where they might've got after us or, or vice versa. And now we're sitting and talking about what are, what are you seeing? All right? What am I seeing? Or now we go and break down other teams and, hey, hey, Darby, come over here real quick. What do you think about this coverage? Uh, here, here, here. Or the other way around and say, hey, what are they trying to do with this concept? How are they trying to attack us? Or why are they sliding their protection this way? Why are, why are they protecting like this? Um, and, and so that was huge for me. Um, and then obviously it'd be hard not to give credit to all those guys at TCU and Coach Patterson and, and that staff. I mean, you're talking about a group of guys where – The majority of those guys have been together for 20 plus years. As you look at coach Patterson, um, coach Glasgow, the defensive coordinator, uh, coach Anderson, who's, uh, recruits East Texas, those guys, two of those guys were GAs for coach Patterson at New Mexico and come over and are still full-time guys from at TCU. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The, the tree that has stayed with him, um, there at TCU. And then now it's, it's, it's incredible looking at, at the journey that I've had is it, it hasn't been very long, but the number of guys that I've been around that are just awesome coaches and then getting into a situation now where I could come into a new program and within a couple of months, be able to say the exact same thing about a new group of guys is, is completely awesome. And I think it's a testament to what coach Gibson and, and the rest of this staff have done as far as bringing in really good, really good coaches and really good men and, and awesome guys to be and stay around.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you have no doubt had a lot of highlights from some of those places. Uh, so, talk about those uh, some moments or, or some games or, or players or just situations that stick out from uh, from your coaching career so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the biggest the biggest one, you know, as far as at Southwestern um, in 2015, we played in the the Live United Bowl. It was actually in Texarkana, Texas. Uh, played play the University of Central Oklahoma. So we were in different conferences, but that was kind of an, an older rivalry that kind of got renewed uh through that bowl game. Um and I and that was that was just so big for the program back then. In 2014, uh we had a we had a three win season and then come back in, in 15 and able to sit around third place or so in the conference and be able to make a, a division two postseason game. We're, we're, when the state of the program at that point wasn't exactly, you know, the greatest it it had been in in the past. Um, another one for me is, uh, in, in 2017, just that first year at TCU, you know, coming, coming from Southwestern, you know, being in the big 12, being in, uh, in a power five situation. And the very first year, so, you know, six months after I got the job or whatever it was is we're playing Oklahoma in a big 12 championship game. Um, and then a month later, again you're playing playing in the Alabama Bowl. I mean that was just an awesome experience. Um, and then I, th- I think 2018 might end, up, you know, last year at TCU might end up being one of the more special seasons that that I can remember. And obviously it's the most recent one for me. But most people outside the program don't realize how special it was for us to just get to the six wins and get to a bowl game that year. Um, you, you look at the roster and it was it was depleted. You had it was, it was 10 plus I think it was ended up being like 14 to 16 starting guys that were that were injured for multiple games during the season so you were you were going off a roster where you're down to your four string quarterback that had thrown three passes his whole life before, before that in college yeah. um yeah. so just the fact of that team persevering overcoming odds um and being able to finish strong and and make it to a bowl game you, you kind of sit there and you say wow like this is something that shouldn't have happened, and it did. And was it the best season that just you or a Power Five school has had? No, but it was pretty cool to sit there and say, well, it could have been a lot worse. Um, which that that was a cool cool year for me. Um, and then as far as players, I think you know some of the big guys that have had an impact on me. You know, I, I sat out in 2013 from playing football because of, because of a knee injury, and one of the guys I got to be around a lot was was a guy I had actually played with. Um, and it was his senior year. His name was Clarence last year, um, He was a safety at Southwestern, a California Juco kid like myself. And it was cool to really sit one-on-one with him every day and, and kind of coach him through some things. Um, he ended up getting a tryout with the Jets, didn't make it, but um, was pretty cool for him as a D2 guy. And then another one was uh, Trayvon Hartfield. He was uh, a transfer guy that came into Southwestern. He, he tried his hand at basketball came to Southwestern and played corner for us. And he actually uh, got a shot with the Cardinals. And then later on with the Browns, um, you know, that was one of those, those awesome players to, to coach. Um, and then at TCU, it was just, I, I got to be around a lot, a lot of the D line guys a little more. And it, it was fun to be around, uh, you know, Ale- you know Matt Boson. Um, you look at uh, Ben Banigou, some some of those guys that were just awesome character guys, and then how they performed on the field on a national stage was just unbelievable. Was, I knew I knew those guys so well outside of football, and then seeing them be able to make it to the NFL and be able to play in, in Canada or or wherever their life you know will take them out from that point, that was cool to see. Um, and then now, I mean, I, the talent drop off hasn't been any because going to practice and, and now you you go out there and and there's there's four or five guys out there now that with that. that get a watch every day that it's just it's just so special to go out there and see the, the players that they are um and it's so interesting i mean talent wise how, how you can sit out there and just see what those guys can do now and, and just imagine what the, what they're going to be even in a few more years i mean that's a lot of fun um and then not even just those those big big time recruits that are at pleasant grove but even the other players it's a lot of fun to watch those guys go out and compete um and get better every week and and, and see what they can do every every week.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to talk to you about, um, you know, just the differences in coaching. You know, obviously uh, big-time Division One football there at TCU and then now coming to, you know, uh, to the high school level. But we're going to save that more towards the end. Okay. I want to get into some football now. Uh, you mentioned, you know, being in the Big 12, and, and uh, Big 12 is, is known for its innovative offenses. And, right. um, you know, looking back on your time in that conference – what were some offensive trends that you saw that you felt like defenses must have an answer for
1: moving forward? Um, I, I think I think the thing about the Big 12 is everyone looks at the Big 12 and, and identifies this conference that doesn't play defense. I, I think what you got to look at when you look at the Big 12 and the offense is really a lot of the offensive trends in college football start in the Big 12. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the, the spread stuff, a lot of the, the RPO stuff, um, the tempo stuff, a lot of that's going to originate in in the big 12. And then now the rest of the country kind of is, is adopting it throughout college football. And the other thing with that is because, because this big 12 kind of area, um, really became the innovators of, of, of that kind of offense is the high schools in Texas, um, adopted the same kind of philosophies so you're getting a lot of your your big time spread quarterbacks are guys that come from this state because these high schools are installing the same principles as these other big 12 schools um and i think that's a kind of a development over the last uh you know 10 obviously 15 years but just in my time you know in the last two years and then even looking back to Swasu, i think one of the some of the hugest things teams are doing i think tempo. Is It's become incredible how fast some of these teams can go and how they can change their tempos because it's not always going as breakneck fast as they can go. That's one way teams do it. The other way teams do it is now they're going to go fast but then check with the sideline. Um, And so these teams have these different types of tempo where they're going to dictate what you're doing because you're not going to be able to get a really complicated call in um, because of how fast they're going. Or you might not be able to change personnel because of how fast they're going. Um, and then defensively, now, there's a couple ways you can still adapt to that. Um, and I think one of the big things is you've, you've got to practice against tempo. Um, in your drills, uh, you've got to design ways where players are getting back faster. Um, in your drills, you have to design ways where players are getting a call quickly and then going and executing that call um, and not having a whole lot of time to think about it. Um, in your drills, you've got to have three, four play burst and then get a little break. Um because that's what's happening to these guys in the game is you got to practice practice what they're getting in the game. Um in, in your practice, obviously. The other thing that I think a lot of defensive guys are starting to look at, and something we had some success with, was going to one word calls. And and by that I'm saying you're gonna make a you're gonna make a one word call and it could be rabbit. Um, and Rabbit's gonna tell not not only my three technique and my end and my corner and my safety, but it's gonna tell us the front, maybe the slant, the blitz, and the coverage all in one. And all we gotta say is rabbit. That yeah. way now we could we can go get a one-word call in and the whole defense knows it's it's a one-word defense. And I think that's something a lot of guys are, are starting to go to, to to match to match the tempo and, and just the speed that these offenses are going at. Um one of the other things I think you get with that you know, talking about the tempo and, and offense is not changing personnel and keeping the same personnel on the field is offenses have become so versatile in their 11 personnel. Um, and and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more as far as like, I, I think 11 personnel, it's incredible what teams are doing as far as one snap, they can be with a tight end on the football and then the next snap, he could be backed off into a slot or into a two-back look. The next snap, he could be out as a receiver. And he could be anywhere in that receiving core. He could be a backside single by himself, a number three, a number two, and number one. And that might change the route variations. So now he's you've got a tight end that might be 6'5", 240 pounds, lining up everywhere against your defense. And so he can go block a corner. He can he can stay stay in and go kick out a defensive end. Is it's incredible what teams are able to do with their eleven personnel, um, and I think that's really changed how people think about ten personnel because I don't think you're getting as much ten personnel, um, true true ten personnel on the field snaps. Um, and, and one of the things that was really incredible to me was what what a team like Oklahoma did, and, you know, or a team like uh, Oklahoma State does it a little bit is is what they're doing with their twelve personnel is. They're they're running two tight ends on the field, and now you now you're getting 21 personnel looks. Um, so you're getting one tight end and, and a back, um, or you're getting two tight ends on the ball, or you're getting a bunch of wing sets, or when Oklahoma has you know the Demetri Flowers and the Mark Andrews guys of the world, they're gonna split both their tight ends out, and so they could be in 11 personnel sets, in 10 personnel sets, in 12 personnel sets, and 21 personnel sets. And you have to be able to call a defense to match any of those things, um, and I think I think that's just so difficult um, from a defensive standpoint. Of they have one personnel on the field that they could be in the entire game, and they could run really four different personnel groupings, and it's 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 just one group of guys.
0: Um, yeah, and, and the other. Well, and that makes it tough for Matt. Well, like you, you already mentioned this, alluded to this, but that makes it tough for you to get the matchups that you want defensively because you know you can't, you can't, you know, have time to sub those guys in because they're not subbing, right? Like you mentioned. Exactly. Yeah, and so exactly it makes is. it it really. I'll
1: give you a great example of that. Um, it was in 2018, and and I've seen. It was actually in 2017 when I first saw OU do it, and they were, they did it to Texas. And, and then they did it to us in 18, is we had sent our dime personnel. It's, it's a third of long and we had sent our dime personnel onto the field. Well, we're, we're sending six defensive backs on the field to their 12 personnel because we're thinking it's going to be and, – and we're seeing pre-snap. It looks like trips, trips a trips formation or a doubles formation. Well, we send the guys out. They, it's 3rd and 12, whatever it may be, they shift their tight ends in to a to a to two-tight end set from, from a 10-personnel look and run run counter-GT. And it was something that the year before they had got a bunch of 3rd and long conversions on Texas. And you're sitting there and you're thinking like, well, how are they running counter-GT? Like, you look in the breakdown, you're like, they're running counter-GT on 3rd and 12, on 3rd and 9? Well, yeah, it's because as a defensive coordinator or a defensive guy you're sitting there thinking i could I could go and put my put my light package on the field or my dime package on the field or or, or get a nickel out there and all of a sudden they shift their two big guys in and they're they're running smash Mouth football again I mean it's it's tough that's that's the one of the biggest scenarios I've seen that I was I was truly just shocked
0: yeah. Yeah. Well I'm curious, uh that has to go into the minds of college coaches as they hit the road recruiting because now, especially when you're looking for defensive guys, you know, you have to be able to find those guys who can play both, right? A guy who can uh flex out and, and maybe uh play on a number two receiver or walk up on the line and play, you know, jam a tight end or even put his hand in the it, ground. It,
1: exactly. I mean I think I think it, it changes so much because when you when you look at like a like an Oklahoma, and they they throw two two tight ends out there that they could flex out in ten personnel, well now they now traditionally where you have a big possession receiver, they're throwing a guy like like Hollywood Brown out there that's he's, that's a traditional slot receiver, but now they're playing him at the X or Z, or now you're looking at when you're recruiting you're looking at can I have a I have to have a guy in the game that could you know whether it's a three technique, a head up nose, or a shade, or a two eye. I have to have interior guys that could that could last every snap and, and bang in the inside. But at the same time, I've also got to have those guys be able to rush the passer. Yeah. Or I've got to have DNs that can drop and DNs that can cover. I have to have DNs that could rush the passer. But then they've got to be able to if they if they're running the the split zone or the zone cutback, they have got to go ahead and freaking and leverage that thing or, 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 spill that thing. Um, so you're asking a lot out of a, of, a of a player. And that really affects all levels of recruiting because now you're looking at linebackers that not only do they have to go and play the run because it's, you never know what kind of set you're going to get, but they right. have to also be able to cover tight ends that are flex guys and cover receivers in the slot. And I think that makes it makes it really tough on yeah. defensive personnel. So you're getting a lot of these hybrid type of players. That yeah, he's a DN, but he's an outside backer. He's a inside linebacker, but he's a strong safety. He's a strong safety, but maybe he's a more of a corner type. Maybe he can cover more, or maybe you got a bigger strong safety that now he's more of a banger, um, or maybe you got one big DN and one small DN, and you know that's kind of the advantage of college football is you can design your defense around around getting some of those guys and. You know, obviously you're if you're at one of the, the blue blood programs you could you could kind of video game it and, and get kind of the best of all of them but yeah a lot of times you're having to manufacture uh manufacture the calls around those type of guys
0: yeah yeah and and really this topic uh you know shout out to our boy uh Cody Alexander over there at midlothian here he wrote a book called uh hybrids where he covers this topic about playing you know it's almost a positionless defense uh, almost how they've done it in basketball nowadays, where you know the positions, oh, yes. their their responsibilities exactly. blur a little bit, you know, um, and, and that's really the trend of where it's going to. And so, uh, guys who want to be big time players have to be able to be versatile. Now, I, I, I would we could talk the rest of our time just on that topic, and I think that's really really yeah, interesting absolutely. to get into some stuff from your days in the Big Twelve and things like that. But I want to move on to the four two five specifically. I mean, you were okay. you spent two years at a place. Where you know people will literally travel all over the country to come uh, to TCU to hear about Coach Patterson's four-two-five defense and a clinic with him and a, and a pick the staff's brain. And so, uh, talk talk to me about you know why the four-two-five and now we just in light of, of what we just said about offenses being so versatile right. and and being able to run multiple personnel sets without actually subbing guys on and off. Why is the four-two-five? Why is that the answer or why why is that a possible answer for for those types of offenses?
1: Um, so here's here's you know what I want to kind of start off with and then, and then we can work from there. you know I think the the best the best thing um, just looking at this question is is there's re- there's really no perfect defense or call um you know if, the, if there was one, a lot of us would be paying a lot of money to play it every Friday every Thursday, every Friday or every Saturday. Um, or every Sunday, you know, if, if there was a perfect defense, everyone would be doing it. Um, you know, I, I still think fundamentals, obviously, um, still rule the game. So just getting lined up, whatever defense you're in is, is getting lined up and getting a call. Um, and then the next part of that, obviously, is executing that call, uh, pursuing to the football and then tackling. I think I think doing those four things then obviously you can add turnovers, you could add a lot of things into that I, I'm not trying to, to downgrade the importance of, of the scheme. But those other things are, are, are so huge. Um, but the four-two-five definitely does, uh, I think, lean itself or, or give you some advantages. Um, just looking at it, um, I, I think in, in the 4-2, you're going to get a lot of versatility. Um, you can be in the, in the true 4-2 shell where you're going you're gonna to have three safeties out there, two corners, two linebackers, and, and a four down front aligned in, in some variety. Um, your strong safety is going to have a, a different set of rules. He's probably going to go to the field, uh, to the passing strength. Um, you know, those those are kind of the, the main staples of where that guy's going to li- line up. And then the rest of the defense kind of molds around him. Well, any other snap, depending on how you, you structure this thing and how you call it, you, you could end up with the same personnel on the field. You could go from a four-two-five to a 3-4 to a 4-3, and so now you've really got, and you could probably go vice versa with with all of those. But now you can go from from one grouping to another grouping, and it, and it doesn't really take a whole lot to do that. Yeah. I think the four two is a good defense to base out of um, to get into those other things because to get to a three four, you're looking at taking one of your ends. You know, if you want to play with a heavy end and a light end, well, now you take your light end and and, you, and he's your expand you know force outside linebacker player um or or now maybe that's your rule could always be that's your your boundary in. well if you want to get to a 4-3 you you've got three safeties that you can now get to be an extra linebacker yeah um you know you could you could get your strong safety you can get him bumped into the box if you want to keep him out wide you can roll your weak safety down and get him into the box that's another way to get to a 4-3 look or and, you know, another way we actually did it at Swansea was we took our, our free safety and rolled our free safety as a, as a stacked, you know, extra, extra linebacker. So um, there's just so much versatility in the defense. And then something that really it lends itself to is even looking at, you know, the 4-2, the 3-4, the 4-3 is a lot of the times the way TCU plays their defense is that thing's going to look like a 3-3 stack, um, you know, a 3-3 stack a lot of times. So – you're getting a whole another defense where now when you talk about the versatility of these offenses of, of them going tempo of them throwing formation on the boundary. Well, now you have a defense where you're kind of causing some confusion to them too because at any point in the game in, in the four two, when you're when you're talking about blitzes, besides the field side corner and, and maybe you know your one of your field side safeties to an extent, the rest of the ten players on the field. Can come on a blitz at any time. Yeah. Um, and and I'm sure, you know, other defenses are like that too, but just how the coverages lend themselves and the alignments lend themselves is because you're playing with three safeties, you could bring any of those guys and, and still be fine in, in a man coverage concept or even a lot of zone blitz concepts. So I, I think that's one of the nice things about a four-two is you're playing with three safeties on the field. You're always you're always in a nickel personnel. Um, which which le- which lends itself to some interesting blitz combinations um, as far as bringing bringing safety pressures because essentially you're playing that guy as both both a safety and an outside linebacker and it, it gives you a lot of versatility as far as coverage and in turns lets you bring the backside safety and corner a, a lot more on, on pressure. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I'm. I'm curious, uh, how does how does Coach Patterson and the rest of the defensive coaches there install their defense? And I know that could, again, we could spend yeah. literally hours talking about that, but just kind of in general terms, I don't want you to give away anything here, but, you know, just how, how do they go about installing that defense for coaches who are maybe right. thinking about, uh, you know, putting, putting adding some of this in into their defense?
1: Um, and, and I'll tell you what, I mean, they're – there is a, a lot to the defense, but I think one thing that coach Patterson talks about a lot, and, and it, it'll apply to any defense that you that you might be interested in running or any concept or scheme is coach Patterson always, always talks about coaching and concepts. Um, and, and he talks about teaching concepts. And so once you kind of get a basic principle taught is now you're going to reinforce that just another way. So he's going to teach us a front or teach us a coverage, or he's going to teach the players a coverage. And then, now he's gonna build on that. So he starts he starts from a, from a basic level, um, and then that concept now is gonna be something that morphs into something greater. Um, I, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned from, from him is just how to become a better teacher of the game of football and how to start looking at looking at scheme and how you teach things to relate to what things that you've already taught. Is okay. We've taught this. Now this is the the same type of thing but we're just going to tweak it in this way. Um, but just getting a little bit more into how he exactly does it is, you know, coach and, and the rest of the coaching staff. Um, one of the first things they do, and I think it's one of the most incredible things I've, I've ever witnessed is they're going to take every part of the program and they're going to get the terminology they're going to get. Uh, and that goes from the weight room to the off season conditioning, strength conditioning, um, to how we do football-specific individual drills, tackling drills, um, how we're teaching each position group, is he's going to coach the coaches. So if you go in there as a new GA, and you've never been through a TCU practice, you're not going to show up to the first one and not know the terminology. Is you, You're going to walk through it with the coaches. You're going to learn it on a whiteboard. You're going to watch videos of it. And you're going to go out there, and you're, he's going to coach the coaches so that his vision of the program or his vision of the defense um, is what's being taught by everyone. Um, I thought that was, you know, incredible is we're, we're going out there. We were, we were walking through as, as a coaching staff, walking through tackling circuits. So before you even get to a kid, now we're learning it in a, in a meeting room, then in a a walkthrough. And that's kind of one of his big philosophies on teaching the kids as well is, you know, one of the big advantages, obviously, of, of college football is you gotta, you got a lot of meeting time with, with the players. And even even that, as much as they get, they're going to say they don't get very much meeting time. But you're meeting with the players. You're, you're going to do your installs. You're going to kind of install your goals first. You're going go to go through your your schematic installs. From from there, one of the big things that, that we would do is we would walk through what, what our install was. So we're going to show prior clips. We're going to wa- install on the board going to show some video possibly if, if we've got some cut-ups and then now we're going to walk through it so you're going to get the classroom rep and then now we're going to go walk through it well then we might get a full speed rep of it and then another way of learning it is you might get a handout or a printout so coach Patterson's is going to figure it out in, a, in an early way of, of how his guys learn um, whether that's a coach or or a player and he's going to make sure that those guys are given the tools whether that is a walkthrough, whether it's in a classroom, or whether it's a handout, or it's doing the the rep full speed of uh, now we've got four or five different ways where those guys are going to go and learn learn this coverage. They're going to go learn how to play quarters coverage because we've gone over it this many times and in this many ways. Um, and that and that was big for for me is because you know when when you first get when you first get there and you're you're a freshman you step on campus and you're trying to learn. I mean, I'm going through my notes from there. You're looking at who knows how many fronts and coverages and the combinations of them. But you're going in and you're learning your position. And one of the things Coach P actually does is the, the freshmen come in the, in the summer. And that's what that's when they're going to start learning kind of the schematics and stuff. And when you're when you're a G.A. or you're a coach, a, a coach, there, an analyst. You might, see a, you might see a freshman walking to class or walking to study hall. You might ask him a, a quick little question about the defense. And say, and now that kid's going to have to think off the top of his head and, and pop a question and answer back to you. And I thought that was pretty cool. It's kind of like you're always getting a pop quiz. And he did it with coaches, too. We'd be sitting there in a meeting room and we're watching a, a film cut up and he'd say, hey, Darby, what's what's wrong with this one? And then now you better be on your P's and Q's and and, and know the defense or, or have a, a pretty good explanation about the concept. Um, because he's he's looking for looking for learning, he's looking for growth. Um, and then when he, when you look at the install in general, one of the things one of the things that's really nice about the four two five when you talk about the you know the advantages of it is you you can and there there are situations you know there's blitz situations there's there's certain looks that where you do have to have your front coverage uh, dependent on each other. But one of the really nice things about it is. Your front and coverage in, in, in the base kind of defense can can remain pretty independent. So what that allows for is now the D-line coach doesn't really have to worry a whole lot about the coverages because his guys don't need to really know them. The secondary coach doesn't have to really worry a whole lot about the front because his guys don't need to really know a whole lot about that. Um, the linebackers, the linebackers have obviously, and I think that's going to be any defense, the linebackers are going to have a tough job. They've got to know everything that's going on in front of them as far as slants, twists. Um, what fronts we're in, as far as gap gaps, what kind of gap exchanges we might have going on, um, and they've got to look behind them and say, "All right, I've got to cover this vertical, or I've got this curl flat, or I've got, uh, you know, to match this route, or I'm I'm reading three two to this." Um, so they've got a tough job, but I think that's one thing that makes the install go pretty smooth. Is w- there, there's a lot of separation in the defense, as far as you know, the D line guys are working pretty independently from 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 the secondary guys so we don't have to spend a whole lot of time together and then when he does when we do start breaking down the the whole defense we try to get it and this was kind of a a 4-2 thing even at southwestern is you were trying to get the entire defense in in about five days um so you were going to start start with a couple basic fronts a couple basic you know stunts and movements a couple basic uh you know a, a family of blitzes and then And then a a really basic coverage that everything, that all the other coverages are kind of going to build off of. You're going to start with one, one quarters coverage and then a trips adjustment. Um, And then all the other days after that, you're going to have a different quarters coverage and a different trips adjustment. You're going to have some different fronts. You're going to have a different family of blitzes. So he's going to take the defense and teach you the hole, then go back and split up some parts of it and then teach you the hole again. Um, and then at the end of it, he's going to start mixing in calls. So you get after day five, now you get to day six, and you might be on a scrimmage or seven, and, you're, and you might be on a scrimmage. Um, and then now you're looking at you're looking at all the calls in the piggy bank. Um, and one of the things that was, and, you know, it seems like a lot on the install, one of the things that was really, really fun to watch is he takes those first five days and the, the learning, obviously, curve is so, so important there. But the big part of that too is seeing what kind of defense you have. Is are you are, do you have the personnel to go to go play man coverage when we're on our man days? When we're doing man blitzes, do you have that kind of personnel? Um, can, can your D line slant? Are they are they a good are they a good slant team or or maybe they maybe they're just gap control guys? Um, do we have pass rushers or are we a run stopping defense? Do we need to bring do we need to generate a pass rush through bringing pressure or can we rush with three or four? Um, and that's something that he's going to try to figure out a lot in, in those first five days, and it really has a big impact on how the rest of the, the season and the teaching goes because he wants to see w- what, what they're good at, essentially, in those first yeah. couple of days and see what any positions the other guys might be good, um, in a better spot or, or not.
0: Well, yeah, and going back on all that, there are a couple words that I wrote down that I thought were really interesting. First of all, before I get to those, uh, I thought it was interesting that you brought up that, you know, Coach Patterson's been doing this for how long? You know, like, the, you know, 30 years probably? Yeah. Uh, I mean, or long, if longer? Longer time.
1: At TCU. You're right. At TCU, he's been there since, I think, 98. Okay. Okay. So 20 years at TCU. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 41. Well, and so I think that it's interesting that he could definitely be one of those guys that says, hey, this is how I always teach it, and if the guys don't learn it, that's their fault. But it sounds like he takes the approach of finding what's the, I mean, like what you said, what's the best way that these guys are going to learn it? Okay, let me teach it that way. So, you know, the material remains the same, but his approach varies and, and changes, and he's not yep. so set in his ways that that he doesn't realize that. And so I think that's yeah. awesome.
1: And I think and, and this kind of can always cycle around, but I think one of the big things about, about the defense is when you look at what these offenses are doing and what their trends are, is that makes you – you can't be static on defense. Is, right. And I think that's something that he does a great job and, and coaches have to do a great job of recognizing is those guys in the other rooms are doing such a good job of changing up what they do every down, changing up their route combinations based on us, changing up how they're going to protect based on us, Changing up third run game based on us is we got to do the same thing. We can't still run the same the same twists, the same coverages, the same way of doing things. Is you got to go into the drawing board and kind of, and kind of generate some things and and create some things. And I think that's one thing about defensive guys is is and one thing about Coach Patterson especially is he's the guy's an innovator. He's gonna he's gonna go find a way that his scheme. He might be teaching a lot of the same principles. But he's going to find a word or find a tag or find a, a blitz or find something that's going to be an adaptation to what offenses are doing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then listen to to your explanation. Two words that I wrote down were alignment. You know, he. I like how you said he coaches coaches. You know, you don't you don't just go out. You take nothing for granted. Right. You know, we don't exactly. leave any stone unturned. Uh, because then the, it can the train can run off the rails really fast if, if you don't take care of that first and make sure all right. the coaches are speaking the same language and there's there's that alignment there and then the the accountability you know with with players and with coaches you know asking guys questions as you, you pass them on campus or just you know you go calling guys out in film and saying hey you know what's going on here and I'm sure as a GA that's going to cause you to go back and study a little bit more to make sure when it's your turn that that you know what's going on and that you can stand up there and. And diagram yeah, the coverage. Yeah, we do it.
1: Yep, exactly. Um,
0: and so all that kind of keeps everybody on edge, and 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 uh, which I think is good. So let's um, let's talk about. You know, we, we want to talk about some some movements and some stunts and some front okay. seven stuff. Uh, as we move into this next part of our conversation and so we're approaching the end of the regular season here in texas and and you know a lot of coaches are probably looking for you know maybe a line movement Mm -hmm. or a stunt that they could incorporate into their defense for the end of the season or even for for the playoffs so talk about some
1: of your favorite line movements and and how you teach those um okay so first off i I think the biggest one of the biggest things when when you're going and you're looking at how you want to rush the passer um and when you want to do it, and and how you're going to go about doing it, um, I think you've got to do a good job of studying who you're going against, um, and that goes a couple of different ways. I think, I think one of the big things you got to look at is you got to look at how they're how they're trying to, to protect and and who they're trying to protect with. Um, in the four down front, a lot of times, we were going to get a, like a thirty two slide, so you were going to get a center a center helping to one side or the other. He was either going to help to the three technique side or he was going to help to the, to the nose shade side. Or maybe we we could figure out that they were going to be a field slide team or a boundary slide team, or he was always going to slide away from the back or to the back. You know, those, those type of things were the things we were looking at. And then a lot of times if we identified that we wanted to go, we wanted to run some kind of game away from that extra help. So, we would be looking to run a, run some kind of twist game away from where that was going on. Um, and, and that wasn't all the time, but, you know, a lot of times that's what we're trying to do. Um, a couple of other, you know, big things when we were talking about, pass rush. Um, we, were talk, we always talk about trying to stay two by two and maintaining pass rush um, integrity. You've got these quarterbacks nowadays where they might drop back on third and 12 and it's going to be a draw. Or they might drop back on third and 12 with the intention to pass. And they're gonna go scramble for fifteen. One of the biggest pet peeves of, of Patterson or any secondary coach was we get three by one in the pass rush because we were trying to get too fancy with the twist. Yeah. Yep. And now we've ended up giving up a, a, an open B gap or an A gap. Yeah. That guy runs for forever. Um. And so when we look at our stunts, a lot of them are trying. What we're trying to do is we're we're trying to um stay two by two. And then any stunt we run, we're trying to get back to two by two. So we start out in the four down. You start out two, two guys by two guys, kind of, kind of common sense. But now, now you're trying to when you're starting and twisting. Now you're just going to replace a guy with another guy. So if you if you bring two to a side, now you got to bring one back to one back to the other side. Or if if that makes sense. Yep. So that's one thing we're always trying to do is, is stay two by two in the rush, and that was through the twist or or vice versa. Um, one big thing that if you look at, look at what we did was you've got to kind of identify what you're doing on first and second down versus the run game. So one, one of our big things is on, on first, you know, first downs and then second and probably manageable um, from an offensive perspective, we're, we're probably going to be twisting a little bit um, t- to 10 personnel or possibly slanting to, you know, if we had a tight end um, or, or doing something, if, if we, if we got two back. Um, so on third down, a lot of times one of the big time calls, one of my favorite things is we're doing so much in early downs was now let's go let these ends turn loose. Um, and, and we might give the interior guys maybe a spy look. And then now we're going to let our ends go rushing edge, go be pass rushers. Um, and so that was just as simple as far as a stunt. It was, it was the opposite of what our normal thinking is, is we do so much twisting to stop the run game is now let's go ahead and let these guys loose on the edge because these tackles are now going to sit – these tackles and guards are sitting on a twist. Is, yeah. Well, well, now let's let them go rush an edge and go, go beat a guy with speed or speed to power. Um, and so that was – I know that's kind of against the question, but that was a big one. Um, but then some other ones. Um, another one to kind of get those ends, especially since we would twist so much, to get those ends to keep doing what they're doing, is we would let those guys go ahead and go – and then now we're going to we're gonna run a, a re-twist with the middle two guys. So you're going to take your three technique and your nose. And th- this is a good one for if if you can't identify or you're not ha- able – if they're not giving you a clear picture of where they do want to help with that center, if they're going to help them to the three or to the nose, well, now let's read them. Is, if he helps to the nose, now the nose guard is going to be, become the looper and the three technique is going to penetrate. So – if he steps to – it's, it's you know, the old school. If he steps to you, I loop. If he, you know, if he steps away, I penetrate. So if he gave us a hip, we were going to penetrate right off it. And then if not, we were going to – if he stepped to us, we were going to loop, loop around. So that one was a good one because now you're working a good two-man game that, that's going against their protection rules. Um, some other ones that, you know, that we looked at, um, we, would, we would get a lot of slide to the three techniques. So you know, in those situations, we will try to kind of stay, stay going with those guys. You know, maintain, maintain those two guys rushing, and then we will try to work maybe a game on the backside where we're gonna work, we're gonna get fat guys moving. Um, and it's there are two guys against our two guys. Then we're gonna, we're gonna try to run run a game on their side. So we might run a, run an end first, and then and then wrap the wrap the nose, um, or, or vice versa. We might. Shoot the end, shoot the or shoot the nose up through the B gap, um, contain through B, and then now we might have the ante take a couple steps upfield and wrap back around. You know, like a like a tech stunt, but we would call that um, we would actually call that like a neck. So like we would try to try to get that going on the backside. Um, and then you know another thing we would look into is you might crash your, your three technique and your, you know they call it you know spike in the three technique. So you might bring that three technique. Um, into the A gap and then cross, cross face, cross center, uh, bring the, the end to the three technique side into the B gap and, and potentially cross face on the guard. And then now wrap your nose around for contain. Um, so there's a good, you know, three man game. So, you know, talk about two man games, working to some three man games. Um, you know, another good three man game we would use cause we did get so much slide uh, to the three technique is we would have the nose work across the center um, to occupy him so we would have the nose work to the three technique side through the center, have three technique com- contained through B gap and now the three technique side and could step up the field quickly, wrap back around. Um another big thing we talked about, you know, in any of our twist game stuff was if if we knew for sure we were in a pass rushing situation. So it's it's a third and long or it's a it's a second and second and long you know situation. I mean, we're we're thinking past tendency wise is we're going to, we're going to, we're going to run our twists a little bit different is, you know, first off, one of the things that if we're, in, in those down distances, if, if you're worried about the screen, if you're worried about the draw, then, then give the interior guys, uh, you know, call a tag. That's going to kind of slow them down a little bit, maybe based off the back, uh, you know, based off that action, uh, you know, maybe the back flares and, and one of the interior guys looks for a screen or, the, the back steps to the center, well, that's not normal for him. So the back steps to the center, well, now I'm going to find out where he's going. Um, or maybe, you know, now our nose guard, maybe our nose guard or our three technique, either one of them, maybe the three technique counters, and, and, and they end up in some kind of double team. So the nose guard or three technique end up in a, in a double team inside. Well, now let's not rush that guy anymore. He's getting double teamed. So let's let him sit there and kind of bounce back and forth, occupy those two guys. So now if the quarterback flushes, we've got a guy that's no longer rushing up field anymore. He's kind of, he kind of became a spy because of their protection. Yeah. Um, and so that's one that's something we, we did quite a bit, but you know, get back to the, initially what I was going to say is when, when we know we're in those down and distant situations, if, if we're running, if we are running run game twists or run game games, we're probably going to try to do them a little quicker. So, yeah. We're going to try to get that and wrapped around quicker into into a B gap. Um, we're now as if, if we're getting pass rush, if, if we know we're going to get a pass, we might try to set those things up a little more where we're going to take a couple more steps up the field or we're going to run those stunts a little later, which is really going to get those those offensive linemen starting to get on different levels now. Um, and so, so we can kind of get take advantage of that um, in the twist. And that, that was something I was that, and I think going back to the game question, I think the biggest thing you got to do is what are they trying to do to you? Yeah. Or are they trying? Are they trying to slide to a specific player? You know, in eighteen we had a, a great defensive end that they slid to the dude. It seemed like every snap, our offense did it, other offense did it. You know, they're going to slide to him every snap. Well, let's try to wrap him all the way back around to the other side. Is you know we're going to push that three technique. We're going to try to get that nose crossed, and then now we'll bring him back through the opposite A or B gap. Um, and so, the, just doing things like that, I think, try to help your kids out and and give them a chance to be successful is is because a lot of times you you talk to some if you talk to some really good passers and defensive ends they don't like they don't like twisting and getting inside on guards yeah. they'd rather just go attack an edge and, and do their do their thing on a on a on a on a big tackle and, and work their work their stuff but I think you, I think you've got to mix it up and, and do a couple different things.
0: Yeah, I I liked what you said about – oh, man, I just went blank. Hold on one second. Let me look back at my notes. Uh, Shoot. Talking about – oh, okay, I got it, I got it. Yeah, I liked what you said about – you know, t- doing a lot of your twists and your-, your slants on earlier downs, you know, which goes right. against a lot of our logic, you know, some of our, our logic most of the time is we want to do that stuff on-, on third and long or, or passing right. situation. But, you know, a-, a lot of times our our, our ends or our, our defensive linemen in general, man, they just want to be turned loose in those situations. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that there's definitely some merit into, you know, running those stunts on earlier downs to eat up into your gaps. And, right. and and like you said, with those run game stunts, you know, having those things hit right now to eat up those gaps and make things bounce out to your athletes on the edges. Uh, that, I think that's a great point. And, and again, uh, I like the, you know, your run game stunts hitting, hitting differently than your past game stunts because, yeah. you know, I think when you teach it that way then – you know, especially if you if you have them slow them down a little bit on the passing game stuff, then they also have the option to bail out on it. You know, let's say it's exactly a, let's say it's a counter or a draw or a tunnel screen and I'm supposed to be looping inside as a DN. But if I'm kind of del- have
1: to go do it right away. Exactly.
0: And I see, oh, it's tunnel screen my way or it's draw. Then I can. Uh, now the stunts off. But I still have my contained guys with my interior guys who are, you know, keeping contained through big gaps yep. or whatever they're doing, and so it's a really safe run stunt because that guy has the option of um, of of actually running the stunt or bailing out of it if the play the the call dictates it. Uh, yep. and, and I think, and you mentioned this too. That was another thing you can do with those interior guys that they're getting double teamed. And rather than than beating your head up against the wall, let's just settle down and calm down. And
1: if now you've just gained a spy. You know. Exactly. And
0: and so now if they let those double team
1: us. Well, now we'll, we'll hang back with those two guys.
0: Exactly. And occupy those guys and let those DNs have him step up in the pocket, and then we can be there to yep. to keep him from from leaking out. Um, so really quickly talk about some drills that, that you could use to to reinforce those skills needed to execute these stunts you know so, what are some uh, things so that you can do
1: a lot of the a lot of the things that those guys were doing uh, you know obviously they're they're, they're walking through the, the different stunts so they they're walking through these different things they' they're, go, they're going through each each one of their pass rush stunts and then the the one of the big things one of my, one of my favorite things was, these things are getting called throughout practice. So if we had a good on good period and and a specific stunt was, let's say, let's say this X line movement was going to be the focus of the week. And that was something that was in our game plan. It was extensively in our game plan in these situations. Well, if we're getting those looks and personnel groupings, we're going to go call that a bunch in practice, in good on good, in scout situations, um, we're gonna we're gonna call it a call it a bunch in different situations so that the kids are going out and they're they're pra- executing and they're practicing what we're gonna be calling in the game. Um, another th- so that that's something that that became a big focus was calling those things even in good on good periods where yeah it's not going against the same the same slide or it's not going against the same thing we're gonna go practice it because that's what we're gonna call on Saturdays um, or Fridays. Um, another big one was was those guys did a, did a lot of pass rush pods so. They they would work against the O line and they would they would work a lot of of their twist stuff. So they would get with those O linemen. Official um, for those guys too, because now they're seeing a lot of twist game, um, whether yeah. they're playing a, a, a big twist team or not. Is yeah. they're gonna go run their games on 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 a good on good period. So those were kind of the big ways that I think we reinforced reinforced doing those things.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you're right, you know, so much of, of the success of these line movements and stunts is just, it's based on timing, and those guys, you know, they work together, and different, a different combination of guys, it's going to hit differently with,
1: you right. know,
0: depending on who's in there running it, and those guys got to exactly. get that timing down and get that comfort level down, and it's almost like they get this, you know, um, unspoken language or communication between themselves, like the other one knows yeah. when it's, when it's going to open up and that sort of thing, and so...
1: I think there's definitely something that I think guys get a good feel for each other. Yeah. You know, you get a, you get a three technique or nose that work with the end a lot. I think they're going to start getting a feel for uh, it. When this guy starts doing this, now it's a good time for me to wrap. Exactly. You know, or yeah. or vice versa from from the inside out. As I think I think that's something that guys do get a good feel for each other. You know, same thing with with offensive guys, you know, receiver and a and a quarterback having good good timing is is those guys had to go do the same thing thing it's just in a little tighter of a space right maybe a little bigger bodies
0: yep yep all right darby well let's uh as we get close to wrapping this thing up um a couple of uh just sort of some some lighthearted wrap-up questions here for you okay okay so uh you go from last year you know coaching in some big-time stadiums big-time games and and you know being a a division one ga to now uh you're coaching at a, at a at a high school program, a very, uh, very prestigious and, 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 um, successful program, I might add, but, uh, what's been the, the biggest adjustment you've had to make from going from, from, from division one GA to high school coach.
1: I think, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier. And I think, I think it's, it's, I'm really thankful for TCU for kind of preparing me for this is you, you can't take anything for granted at the, at the high school level. And, you, you learn about it with college kids and you're like, well, you got, you got to tell them everything. You got to tell them how to put their left sock on this way. Um, you got to tell them how to put their pants on. Well, with some of these high school kids, I, I have realized that is that is quite an adjustment of playing the football. And some of these other things doesn't don't come as naturally for, for some of these guys. And you know, they're, they're, they're not as natural of, of athletes, um, which is the difference you get, I think. And I saw that between a, d2 player and a d1 player so that was one thing that i thought was was you know obviously a big difference i mean obviously a big adjustment is is and i i gotta say i'm pretty lucky with probably one of the easiest uh if you want to call it teaching positions in uh in high school probably in the state but just going from having to be in a classroom to being in a meeting room all day is a big difference is you sit there in, in college football and especially at that level is you're you're in a meeting room for the entire day talking about football, and that's from six seven in the morning till you go out to practice. Then you practice, it gets on film, and you're doing it again until you're done watching the film. Yeah. So going from being football all day to you're thinking about football all day, but it's not happening all day.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. That's
1: a that's a big adjustment. Obviously, obviously the recruiting part's a big adjustment. Like. Being able to uh, recruit your players versus you kind of have what you have, uh, yeah. And and I, I kind of like that part of it too. Is is you, it really hones you as a coach? Is you, there's no really complaining about it? You better just go get them better.
0: Right. Um,
1: right. And so that's 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 you know a difference. Um,
0: yeah. Well, what is uh, what would you say is your favorite thing about being a high school coach so
1: far? Um. I think I think one thing that's that's more enjoyable so far. Uh, there's definitely a little bit more time, and I, I was never one that was going to be lazy or, or not work hard. Um, I think it comes with with the territory as far as the GA thing, um, but I think you know it, it's nice to have a little bit little bit more time to to sit and do something like this, and, and, and you know talk to one of your colleagues and, and try to help some other coaches out with with stuff. I think that's a that's a big time thing. Um, I've definitely gotten a lot more sleep than I than I used to. Uh, being a GA is great and everything, and it was a lot of fun. But I also had a pretty limited paycheck, and I didn't have insurance at 28 years old, so that was a little scary. So those those things are nice. I, I've got, if you, you've noticed at the office, I've got eyeglasses now, which was something I couldn't get because I didn't have insurance at the old GA spot.
0: Yeah. Um yeah.
1: So you know, just little things like that are fun. You know, one of my other things I think. That I really like so far about it is, I think relationship wise with with the kids and with the coaches is, and not not that anything was wrong wrong with how this went at TCU as I I built some great relationships with with those coaches, and with with the with the kids um, there too with some of the players. I just think in in high school football, uh, so far there, there's a lot less of the egos, um, and, and it's it's every every day it's not like a life or life or death like you have it's like winning is important but it's not like the only thing you know right yeah. now it's like yeah there's a lot more with the culture building thing is and i think that's one thing about this is in, in my life is now i've been able to focus a lot more on other parts of my life that i never really thought about um because everything was always football football win win help with recruiting uh and now you kind of get you get a little bit of a breather, um, and, and still still a place that obviously works hard and all that kind of stuff. But but having a little bit more of a of a, of a life outside and, and that kind of thing, I think that's that's it's been it's been nice so far.
0: Yeah. Well, l- let's talk about this. What uh, and we'll get you out of here on this one. What's your uh, your best GA story from your days either at Swasu or TCU?
1: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a couple of them. Okay. Okay. And one of my roles at Swassu when I was a GA, and this went from when I was a GA and I kept it going until the, till I left there was every year we had a rodeo. Well, there was two concession stands for the rodeo. Um, but there was only one grill. So I used to take all the, this is one of my jobs. I used to take all the, the, the hamburgers, the hot dogs, the hot links, all the, all the meat, and I used to transfer it from one from the grill at one concession stand and walk past the cows and the horses and everything to the other one. So, and that was a job I kept for let's see, GA. I mean, I was a that was a four or five year rodeo job for me. So, that, once a year, for three days, that, that was that was that was that was pretty fun. You
0: were, you were the um, uh, the meat wagon for the for the Swasu Rodeo.
1: Precisely, the foot. I was the foot soldier meat wagon. For the rodeo. And I'm sure you had um, me
0: thinking, like, as you're carrying, man, I'm going to be big time one day. Just wait. This
1: is uh, – Oh, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he, I, I sat there a lot of times and I said, what are they going to do? What are they going to do when they don't have me carrying this? Well, the next guy comes in there and he's, he's probably doing the same thing. Yeah. So um, that that was always funniest, And that's one thing that, you know, about being a GA is, and Coach Patterson is one of his best jokes, is he's like, once a GA, is a GA. And it's true because if you're if you're willing on a staff to do those little tasks and, and do the little things, um, I think that goes a long way and and in, in how you'll be in, in, as a coach, um, you know, throughout your career. Uh, some, some other ones from TCU, um, I've, I've got a bunch of. I you know I think these don't necessarily have to be funny, but I think one of the coolest things for me um, was you know obviously I I was a JUCO guy and I and I went to a D two school so. My bi- biggest experiences at you know, the big time or the show were on television. So for me to go, go to these stadiums, like go to Texas, go to Oklahoma, go to Oklahoma State, um, go to the bowl games, you know, that was in even our home environment. That was so cool for me. as just a fan of college football. It's like that's something I'll probably forever cherish. Is like, and I told guys this all the time, because a lot of the GAs in Division One. You know, not all of them, but you know, at TCU, it was I was probably the only guy that played D two football, and so all those guys were were D one players themselves, and you know had a connection or had someone that that they knew through through this guy, this guy. You know, it's such a such a connections oriented you know business, and I'm the, sitting in there, the only guy that was you know a non Division one football player. Yeah. Um, so those guys had all experienced that, and for me, is you know I hadn't ever experienced something like that, so that was. That was awesome. Um, I think some of the other things were just, you know, some of those late nights is you really start to lose your mind. And you know, I got to give a shout out to some of those other GAs like Laiu. Uh, you know, one of my best friends there's name's Laiu Maciola, and he's still there. And I, I know, let's see, it's Wednesday, Wednesday night. Yeah, he's working on the script for Thursday practice. Um, still right now. So you know, so there's some of those late nights there. I think those are those are always fun. Um, but I'll give you my last funny one of, of TCU days is it's the spring game and it's, it's my last spring game, but I, I, I don't think I do it yet. Um, and so we're, we're, we're getting into the, into the, the calls. And I, I, I signaled the, the front for coach Patterson, uh, my, my last, my second year there. So I'm signaling, about to signal the front and he's telling me what he wants. Um, and he t- he tells me the wrong call, and so I s- send her in, you know, send in send in the message. Well, uh, so he gets all over me, and you know I'm I'm gonna take 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 the take it take it from him, and he uh, he blames it on the fans of the spring game that I that I was too distracted by uh, the crowd, um, <laughs> which I thought was I thought was. Cause that's something he would tell the players like, Oh, don't change your behaviors or don't change how you act because there's people in the crowd now. Like, that can't affect you. You have to, you know, practice like we're in an indoor or practice like no one's watching. Like, th- that was something that, you know, he always made a big emphasis on. And now he was kind of rattling me about it because <laughs> he's the one who messed up. But now I'm getting crushed because there's yeah. people yeah. in
0: the stands. So yeah. I
1: thought that was always pretty fun. Yeah.
0: Well, did he ever come back and say, hey, Darby, my bad?
1: No, no. no? no. Oh, okay. No,
0: all right. Well, uh, Darby, man, it was uh, – I'm glad we got to do this. And, and uh, you know, you, we sit 15 feet away from each other in an office most of the time, but, you know, don't get a whole lot of time throughout our week to just to talk. And so this was really awesome. I'm glad that, uh, uh, you know, all the coaches listening got to uh, to hear some of this stuff from you. Uh, really quick, before before we head out, tell us the best way for these guys to get a hold of you.
1: Yeah, so um I 518 six one nine five one eight four nine three four. Um, you know, obviously I'm comfortable with text or calls and anything you guys need to, to get a hold of me. Um then the other thing is is uh my Twitter handle is um uh, it's it's at coach underscore J Darby. So at coach underscore J Darby. Um if you have any questions or anything. DM or, or message me. Um so that'd be another way.
0: Hey Darby, you, you kind of kind of uh got a little fuzzy there on your number. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but uh tell us your number one more time.
1: Okay, so my cell phone number is six one nine five one eight four nine three four. Okay.
0: All right, I want to make sure we got that. I'll also have that stuff in the show notes for those okay. of you who are, who are uh, interested. Uh you wanna get a hold of Coach Darby, you can do that. Well Darby Appreciate it, man. Uh, try hey, appreciate
1: to... it. I think it's a you're doing a great thing, helping helping not only D line coaches out, but you know, all coaches. And I think it's I think it's awesome what you're doing.
0: All right, man. Appreciate it. See you. Really appreciate Coach Darby for talking with me and sharing some of the things he's picked up over the years. Make sure you follow Coach Darby on Twitter and check out the show notes for this of this episode if you missed any of his contact information. Okay, our quote today is this. Far and away, the best prize that life offers is a chance to work hard at work worth doing. And that's from Theodore Roosevelt. And that will do it for this episode of KYPD. Coach Darby and I got to go draw some scout cards, so we're going to get to that. Meanwhile, the rest of you, happy Halloween. Good luck on your upcoming game this week. And until next time, keep your pads down.